Good morning again. Um, today we come to the end of our walk through the book of Daniel. Lord willing, in two weeks we will begin to walk through the book of Acts. And uh, as is kind of my custom, I take the Sundays in between series just to preach on whatever I want to preach on. So we'll do that next week, Lord willing. But chapter 12, if you've been with us, you know that it's, it's the end of a story that began in chapter 10. In chapter 10, an angel came uh, to Daniel. Um, and then in chapter 11 and 12, we have the vision that that angel brought. So in chapter 11, the bulk of it dealt with uh, terrible times coming for the people of God, but a terrible time that was in Daniel's future, but our past. And then the end of chapter 11 and the whole of our chapter 12 deals again with a terrible time coming for the people of God, but this time it's in both Daniel and our future. And I started this series back whenever we started Daniel, right after, I think right after the quarantine started. And I started by explaining the purpose of ancient Near East apocalyptic literature. And that sounds so interesting, but we have to understand it because that's what we're, that's what we're in right now with, with Daniel, ancient Near East apocalyptic literature. And so I want to finish this series by doing the same thing, explaining the purpose, but I'm going to do it by telling you something about my wife that really irritates me. And I know, I'm, I know you're all listening now. So she loves to read, but that's not the part that irritates me. She has loved to read since she was a little girl, but she has this habit when tension, when tension rises in a story, she'll flip to the end of the chapter to see what happens, to relieve the tension. And, and this is, to me, you just can't do that. And now I found out she has passed this horrible characteristic down to at least one of my sons, and if you ask them, why do you do this? Why do you jump to the end of the chapter and look at it before you read? And their answer is that because once I know what's going to happen, it relieves the tension and I can enjoy the story. Do you know that's exactly the point of ancient Near East apocalyptic material? To go all the way to the end and let you see the end in a way that relieves the tension today. And so that's what the story is doing in, in all of this uh, culminates in Daniel chapter 12, our last chapter. And Daniel chapter 12 tells us about the darkest time that believers, that the people of God will ever have on this earth. Then it tells us about the great separation between believers and unbelievers. And then finally, the hope that we're all waiting for. So that's what the chapter does. So that's what we're going to do this morning. First, the darkest days. Join me in verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So we have our friend Michael back here and he arises at that time. So what is that time? If you were here last week with us, you know that time is what we call the time of the end. When a final terrible ruler of some sort will raise up and he will make it his mission to eradicate Christianity as we know it. And we aren't given a lot of details about the suffering that's going to happen. Last chapter, Daniel did his best to tell us that this end ruler will be the Antiochus of all Antiochuses. That, so you may remember Antiochus IV was, was the worst ruler that Jerusalem has ever had. He made it his mission to try and stamp out Judaism under his rule. And to a larger degree, this future ruler will be a, a worse type of Antiochus. 
One commentator said, there has never been a time of more suffering for the people of God than we are reading about in Daniel chapter 12. Luther, he goes so far as to speculate that when this happens, the pulpits worldwide will be silenced and the faith will be preserved by the fathers in their homes, or the mothers in their homes. And I think about that and it's almost, it's almost baffling to think that there could be a time where you would think that Christianity might cease to exist. But that has happened before. And if you know your history in the 10th century, Christianity, many people thought it might cease to exist. Christianity as a whole might fail. Because in the 10th century, you had Islam that was coming up, uh, that they had taken over the Middle East, North Africa, Spain, and a third of France. The faith in Asia had been pretty much stamped out at that point. And now the Vikings are coming from the North and they've burned half of the churches and monasteries in all of Northern Europe. And so you have people like the Kells in Ireland who have made it their, their mission to preserve the Bible because everyone's thinking this whole thing could, could end if we don't preserve the Bible. So we've seen times like that in history. And I think that's a good picture of, of the future that Daniel is telling us about. Um, so we're told here, what are the few things that we're told here? Verse four says that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall, shall increase. So what does that mean? There's like much of chapter 12, there's debate. Uh, what is the running to and fro? Some people say that that's Christians running to evade persecution. Um, I, I think that what the to and fro actually is, is as the pulpits are silenced and Christianity can't be public anymore, people are running to and fro, trying to find answers for, for life's questions. They're trying to find their way, but they can't do it. And I think that's contrasted with this increase in knowledge. And some people have, have speculated that this increase in knowledge is an increase in our understanding of science. Maybe that's the explanation. Um, I, I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's contrasted here with this running to and fro and inability to find answers. But I think in some weird way during this persecution, um, this is also Calvin's opinion, that the, num the number of believers actually increases. The numerical the number of the church, people are growing. So people running to and fro, but also in some weird way, the church is increasing in number. And the only other thing we know about these dark times um, in this passage comes from verse seven, where it says that in this time, the power of God's people will be shattered. So we will have no formal power in this world. We will not hold office. We probably will not be allowed to own businesses. I doubt we'll be allowed to teach in schools. We probably won't be able to legally purchase things the way that unbelievers could purchase things. And in that day though, again, because I believe that increase in knowledge is the church growing just because we don't have formal power doesn't mean that we can't have significant influence. And I was talking this week with a guy named Trevin Wax, who is the senior vice president um, for theology and communication at Lifeway. It's a pretty big job. She's at Lifeway. It's pretty much all theology and communication. I imagine that's a big job. But we were talking about the loss of power for evangelicals that has happened in our lifetime. And we expect will only increase if we're going to hold a biblical view of marriage, family, and sexuality. And we were talking about how we as a church can plan for that day now. And he made, um, he, he said, I think one of the best things we can do is actually to look 
at the black church in America over the past few hundred years because they have leveraged, they have stayed faithful and leveraged great um, influence from the margins without the power at the center. And so I don't know if this great change is going to happen in my lifetime or my kids' lifetime or my great grandkids' lifetime. But it's going to happen. So we as Christians would do well to begin to think and prepare, probably even more so because some of these, these currents are already beginning to push against us. So that's, these are the darkest days. Next, we see the great division between believers and unbelievers. This is the second half of verse one. I know some people are thinking, Jim, you're still in verse one. Yes, I am. All right, verse one, second half, verse one through three. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So this is our our delivery from these dark days. In my mind, the way I read Daniel, the way I read Paul, all bodies that have ever lived will rise. So you will see some rising from fresh graves, others from ancient ashes. You will see some rising from cemeteries, some rising from the depths of the ocean. You will have everybody, it doesn't matter how famous or insignificant you were, everyone will rise and stand in front of God and the books will be opened. So here's, here's the best way that I know to, to explain the book of life. We see it here, we see it in Revelation 20. In this life, we have the opportunity to choose how it is we wanna be judged. And so for Christians, we, 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 we have the choice. Do we want to be judged on the merits of our life or the merits of Jesus Christ? And so we would say, I don't want to be judged on the merits of my own life. That won't go well because the only thing Jim Davis has ever earned in the eyes of God is eternal hell. I want to be judged on the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That is going to go well. The people who make that choice is who Daniel is calling wise in this, in this passage. And that day, those people who make that choice are the names that are written in the book of life that is established before the foundation of the world. And for those of us who choose to be judged on the merits of Jesus Christ, this is going to be an incredible day. I mean, going from those darkest of days to this day where we stand in front of God and we're judged on the merits of Jesus Christ, Daniel says that we will receive everlasting life, that we will shine like the brightness of the sky above and shine like stars forever. And I do think it's interesting. Daniel gives one more characteristic in this passage of this group of people whose name is written in the book of life. And that characteristic is that they will turn many to righteousness. And I think because the, the context, again, is suffering, I think what he's, he's saying is those who endure suffering well will in their suffering point people to righteousness. And I don't I don't even think this is a challenge thing. If, you, if you're a historian and I'm wrong, tell me. But my understanding is that historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, all agree that one of the main reasons that Christianity spread so significantly in the early days of the church is because of the public ways that Christians were willing to suffer. I mean, it has an impact when, 
when you watch somebody willingly go to their death for the faith. One of my favorite stories uh, is a guy named Polycarp. He was, uh, he was a part of the, the church in Ephesus. And um, he probably, I, I, I'm convinced, he probably was discipled by the apostle John. And when Polycarp was in his 80s, he is called into a Roman amphitheater in front of Roman authorities. And, and he is commanded to recant his faith in Jesus Christ or be burned on the spot. And here's Polycarp's reply. 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And he was burned. This man knew the glory that awaited him. But as great as that day is for all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, as Polycarp said, it will be a horrible day for those who do not. Luke writes that on this day, that other group whose names are not written in the book of life, they will wish for the mountains to fall on them, to cover them from what's going to happen. And this isn't a fun passage of scripture to read. I wouldn't pick to, but it's here and it's true. So we have to, we have to walk through this. The apostle John in Revelation 20, he says that on that day, you have one group whose name, names are written in the book of life. And then for everyone else, their books are opened. So these are the books of, of our life, what we have done. We've said, I'll, I want to be judged on the merits of my life. Well, let's look at that book. And that's not going to go well for anybody. So everybody opens their books and Daniel says that for this group, there's everlasting shame and contempt. And I can't, I can't just wash over that word everlasting. However horrible it is on that day, there will be no end. This is the great division. This is what Jesus calls the separation of the sheep and the goats. And again, if you remember in chapter eight, you, can, you get the feeling that Daniel has a question to ask, but he, he maybe not dare ask it. So an angel shows up and asks another angel for him. And the same thing happens here because the obvious question is what? When is all this gonna happen? <laughs> I would really like to know when this is gonna happen. And so we're picking this up in verse five. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So a couple questions here. Who is this man clothed in linen? I think it's the same person in that we see in Daniel chapter 10. And I will let you listen to that, chapter, that sermon if you've not listened to it. The second question is, how long is this? The answer is time, times, and, and half a time. And at the end of the chapter, you get a specific number of days. So here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know exactly how long this is, but what I, what I do know 
And well, let me say, I've, I've referenced Dale Ralph Davis. He does a masterful job of walking through the d- different views. If you want that commentary, I commend it to you. You're going to get a better explanation from him than you will me on the different views. But what we do know, we have to focus on what we do know, is that time is limited. It's, it's a limited amount of time. God is in control and he's telling us as he's going to bring the kingdom in its fullness when we least expect it. And then it's sure... And it's confirmed by this raising of both hands, which would have communicated a double certainty in that day. And I think when we look at at this great division, we would do well to ask ourselves, uh, with the rising persecution of Daniel chapter 12, ask ourselves, are we as believers, are we expecting things to get better or worse in our future? And I'm not saying that we should not work hard for things to get better. I think we should. We, we should be looking for this whole world to resemble the kingdom of God in every way possible. But we should have a deep um, awareness that it will get worse before it gets better. That these dark days will come. And the only way that we as believers are going to be okay with that is if we really understand the hope that awaits us on the other side of those dark days. So that's, that's the last point, the hope that awaits us all. The hope is that we will enter our rest, we will resurrect, and we will be at home with Jesus. That is the hope. Look at verse 13, the last verse. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So our hope on the other side of this life, whether we die or whether Jesus comes back, is that we will resurrect. We will have eternal life. We will shine like the stars forever. And we will be at home with Jesus. John Piper says that this is the day when groaning is replaced with glory. As you may remember, Paul writes that the whole world is in the groanings of childbirth. And I have... I've heard the groanings of the maternity ward and I have heard the groanings of the oncology clinic and they are not the same groaning because one is leading to life and one is not. And the promise to the believers is no matter how hard it gets, is that the groanings that we experience for those who are in Jesus Christ, it does lead to life. It does lead to a hope. Two Christmases ago, um, Angela and I got to say goodbye to her grandmother. I didn't expect to get emotional over this, but we had, we got to say our last goodbyes and, and she, I was holding her hand and she asked me if she would, if, if I thought she would ever go home and she loved her home. She just, she loved that place. And, and I looked at her and I said, I'm certain you will. And of course we're talking about different homes. <laughs> And as great as her home was and as secure and safe as she felt in her home, the home that awaited her and all of us makes the most difficult lives on this earth look like an uncomfortable night in a hotel. We will resurrect and we will have new glorious resurrected bodies that will not be hindered by pain or sin or death or disease. I like to think we won't be hindered by gravity either. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, We will be reunited with loved ones. But more than all of that, we will be at home with Jesus. 
That's our great hope. We will be experiencing a relationship with him the way that it was designed to happen. And we know that it's happened because the angel tells Daniel, seal this vision. And he's not saying hide it. He's saying seal it in the way that an ancient king would seal a law or, a, or some sort of mandate or decree. It makes it official. And this is sealed by the authority of God and it will happen. I will be the first to say that we're not given everything in this vision that I would like. <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit more, but we're given everything that we need. And so I think it'd be profitable for all of us to ask ourselves, is this hope awaiting you? Is your name in the book of life? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? And if it's not, today can be the day that you do that. And if it is, I will tell you what the angel said to Daniel. Go then your way until the end. In just a moment, we are going to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is something, as I said last week, that we're going to do every week while we, you know, we can't sing. Um, and I think it would be a good use of this time to meditate on God's eternal reign in the new kingdom and the new earth. In Revelation 19, we see the final removal of Babylon. That is the final removal of all the government structures that make life difficult for believers in the here and now. And verse six says uh, in Revelation 19, uh, that it's the beginning of God's reign. Now that doesn't mean he's not sovereign and reigning right now, but it's the beginning of the consummated kingdom that's rid of all of our strife and sin. And in this passage, we are called the bride of the lamb on that day. And I've done a lot of weddings. I I've, haven't done many funerals at all, but I've done a lot of weddings for my days in college ministry. And without exception, you have that beautiful moment when you, when you announce the new bride and groom. And whatever, whatever joy and excitement you see on that day, it pales in comparison to the joy and the excitement that we will experience when Revelation 19 happens and we are presented to our groom, Jesus Christ the Lamb. And that joy that's awaiting us all is what is going to get us through every trial and sadness and disappointment in this life. So I'm going to pray for our time and then I'll give us some, uh, some unique instructions if you didn't get them all last week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a walk through Daniel. We thank you for the compassion that you have for your people that you would tell us that it's going to get hard before it does, that you would sustain us and that you will deliver us. And I pray that this, this hope can just, that we would overflow in it, that it would be clear, that it would inspire us, transform us, conform us, and make us fruitful in the mission that you've called us to be engaged in. God, we thank you and we pray for this time as we, as we celebrate communion, that you would take these ordinary elements and do extraordinary things through them, that we would remember the price you paid for your coming kingdom and your son, Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.